comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. The world we know is gone. No internet, no GPS, no text messages, no podcasts. In a world ruled by the dead, we are finally forced to start living. Welcome to the Walking Dead TV Podcast. I am George from Jersey, joined this week by Aaron North, Jim Dietz, and Richard Sheldon. How y'all doing? Great. Just swell. Blowing up 99 Red Luff balloons. <laughs> yes, I thought of that as well, and then spent a long time last night listening to versions of that song, because it's fun. Uh, we are here tonight to talk about episode 15 of season 5 of The Walking Dead, the episode titled Try. Before we get into the actual plot of the episode, gentlemen, what do you think of this one, generally speaking? It's a lot of pieces being moved around, followed by an ending that I enjoy quite a bit. Do or do not, there is no try. I felt like this was a lot of setup for the uh, for the finale next week, and I really, uh, I like Aaron said, I punctuated by a kind of a, a, a surprise ending that I enjoyed. So, yeah, Walking Dead kind of has a habit of doing that with its penultimate episodes. They always seem to be a lot of setup, followed by a really cool cliffhanger and i gotta say for me this was a three three and a half episode with some moments of really stellar fives thrown in you know what i mean it was a good episode i just really and i'm sure it's gonna pay off so i need to just get over it but i really don't like where this episode took us with rick oh see i loved it (laughs) yeah i do and i like it because of I think there's been a lot of... It's not like it's at random. I think the season's been doing a good job of building them to this point, which... It's true, and I and, and I know that it's going to pay off, so I just need the... That's why I'm saying I'm getting over it, but I just... I felt that it went a little too over the top. I would agree, yeah. But, yeah, overall, it was a decent episode. I'm already tired of the Alexandriites, though. Um, I think there's enough of them, and we've seen a, a variety enough of personalities with them that, you know, some of them I'm tired of, a la Pete um, or Nicholas, but the others, I think, are clean enough slates that they could do interesting things with them. Jesse is weak. Pete is alcoholic, abusive ass. Deanna is a wishy-washy, flipping back and forth, waffling on everything. And Wait, wait, wait. What has she waffled on? I, oh, yeah, I don't I, know either. Well, no, it's just constantly, you can just see it in her eyes, just, I don't trust them, I trust them, I don't trust them, I, I don't know, it's just the way she's acting, maybe it's Maybe because they're acting like crazy people. Well, I, I would probably react in a very similar way if I was a logical human being, seeing these animals coming you know, in and covering themselves in blood and fighting in the streets and... I just have it. Her, her husband, her husband has needs to go back to the Pepperidge Farms. I'm glad Aiden's dead. The guy that uh, Nicholas or whatever. I, 
I, I, none of them I care anything about. They're all detrimental to our group. They are dangerous because they're ignorant. Um, it seems like the only one from their group is the newer one, and that's the little kid that's smacking on Carl. But isn't that you agreeing with the central characters of the show? Like, isn't that the show working if you hate those characters? Yeah, I didn't say I disliked the show because of it. I'm just saying I'm tired of them. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm tired I, of. We haven't really met anybody except these like these people, and there's a whole community that we haven't even gotten to know yet. I'm excited to see more of Alexandria just because of the potential it still has. No, I'm excited for Alexandria. I'm just, I don't know. Maybe I'm not explaining it right. It's just the characters we've met so far, I really latched onto them quickly, and they've quickly disappointed me. I think we're all missing out on missing the, the, the real victim here, and that would be Carol's casserole. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, left alone, defenseless, on the porch, attached no burned. I mean, that's, I mean, that's the real victim here. No, because I recognize that casserole. That is what we in the South call tuna noodle bake, and that stuff is disgusting, so it looked I, I, gross. Yeah, I think I think Deanna did the okay, right thing. Now, there. now we're now we're doing a, a character assassination here. That looked gross. <laughs> apparently, that looked like a good casserole to me. I was, yeah, I was it looked like solid to see casserole. Take a man, bite out of crime on that one, stuff. but yeah, thank thank you, Chef Dietz. <laughs> I'd rather eat dog. That's all I'm saying. So on this week's episode, like I already said, which is titled Try, Season 5, Episode 15, uh, we have a number of guest actors, but before we get to them, it was written by Angela Kang and directed by Michael E. Satrazimus, who's, uh, I think that's a, that's a crew that's worked on the show quite a few times. I remember saying those names a lot. Yes, Satrazimus in particular, he's been doing a lot of the work, it seems, this season, if it's not Nicotero. And uh, our guest actors this week are Tova Felju as Deanna Monroe, Alexander Breckenridge as Jesse Anderson, Ross Marquand as Aaron, Austin Nichols as Spencer Monroe, Jason Douglas as Tobin, Austin Abrams as Ron Anderson, Corey Brill as Pete Anderson, Steve Coulter as Reg Monroe, Caitlin Nakin as Edith, Michael Traynor as Nicholas, and introducing Major Dodson. <laughs> and Jerry Mathers as the Beeve. <laughs> So this week's episode starts in a strange-ass way. Deanna and her family are mourning Aiden's death. That's not particularly strange, although he was an idiot. Um, but Carol leaves a casserole, which we've already mentioned, and a note of condolences on Deanna's doorstep. Deanna leaves the casserole on the doorstep and burns the note. And then uh, there's kind of interspersed with this, they pull out uh, Aiden's Run Mix CD and put it into the CD player, and before any music starts, I went, well, this can't be good. Um, it's gonna be weird in some way, and then it turns out, was this where, this is the Nine Inch Nails song, right? Yeah. Right. So, tonally laughable when it's playing with them sitting there in mourning, kinda worked when it then cut away from them 20 seconds later to the rest of the people going about their lives in the town, but how tonally jarring was that, no offense, but kind of boring Nine Inch Nails song playing while they're sitting around mourning their dead idiot son and brother. I don't know that it was appropriate, but I actually like that song. Regardless of the, the song and whether I like it or not, I actually found it to work with the shit because of who Aiden was and because of we we already know his dubstep choice from I mean, we know what kind of to expect on this CD. And I thought I it, agree. I and given the the music tracks in general that the show's been putting out lately, I think it's a it's beyond being a nice change of pace from the sort of acoustic guitar tracks that we got in like season two and season three and what have you. I like that it's going a little wilder with its choices between like that scene at the end of the couple weeks ago of Rick and now we have something like this, let alone the dubstep last week. I like what it's doing. I like that it's different and just odd and somewhat off putting, which is 
reflection, which is reflecting of the of the mixing of these peoples here. It's, it's very off-putting in general. I'll give you that, but I feel like they could have picked a song that would work for Aiden, but would also not be that laughable for those twenty seconds where you're just watching his family sit around cry listening to this song. I think I think laughable would be having more more dubstep play. I think having that <laughs> nail song made actually more sense than have. I, I was worried there's going to be more. There's going to be sitting there listening to dubstep music for some reason. If they busted out the Skrillex, then that that would not have worked. But I thought that I didn't mind the Nine Inch Nails at all. I'm not even a huge fan of theirs, but I thought it worked better than you know. I say they've like Aaron said they've done the acoustic you know um, uh, acapella vo- you know, vocal thing several times in the past. This was a good uh, good switch up from that, and it is more reflective of his character, knowing you know what he was playing before. So it wasn't a Nine Inch Nails song that you kind of bop your head to, as opposed to something like dubstep or any kind of electronica that would right. make these people like watching them awkwardly stand there and not reacting to the music being played, as opposed to something like this. Any Nine Inch Nails is a you know a, an industrial band, like it. it I think it. I think it satisfied both aspects of what it was trying to do. I can understand it being awkward because it is. I mean, that's it's supposed to be off-putting and weird, but I just I liked it. So then we cut to uh, clips of uh, Nicholas's. I guess you would call post-mortem on uh, the incident that left Aiden dead and uh, Tara gravely injured. And I, I liked this. I liked that they used uh, the video recording that they'd set up in previous episodes, and then how they would intercut that with Glenn telling his version of the story to Rick. And I don't think it was all that surprising to us as viewers that Nicholas, of course, tries to paint our crew as the bad guys, and it's their fault that Aiden died and he barely escaped with his life, despite them trying to get him killed and being stupid and not knowing what they were doing, which, as we know from seeing the show, but we could have also have guessed, he's just trying to save his own skin. Quite a porch dick, don't you think? (laughs) (laughs) It was more of a couch dick in that scene, but sure. And I'll tell you, in, in that video that he did, the actor was really good because they threw out like all of the line tells that someone has the 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 looking up and to the right the looking down at your nails and messing with your hands and you know not giving the straight face when giving facts and what's going on whereas when it intercut with glenn talking to rick glenn is like looking him dead in the eye and just straightforward telling him what's good what what happened so and and hopefully you know deanna picked up on that body language but then again she's grieving so who knows yeah and i gotta say as as much as i agree with you um rich i don't like the character of nicholas and we're not supposed to i do think the right. actor's doing a good job in both this scene and his later scene with glenn in the episode he you think he nails exactly what they're going for i have very few problems with the actors of alexandria with maybe right. one exception one one exception that's more based off what i think is a direct a direction issue than the actual acting but it's the balloon right no, it's Pete, but uh, we'll get there. But um, I can understand there's only so much time at this point. Like, I, I honestly wish there was like another episode that kind of would give us more of the uh, more of Rick's gang interacting with the the people of Alexandria. I think we've kind of I wouldn't say it's as egregious as something like Woodbury, which I felt like was never really much of a, a character in the show compared to Alexandria. But it, it's just there's so much going on to kind of set things up. That I feel like if we had another another scene to like highlight the Glenn Nicholas situation, I would have benefited from that. Maybe if they add thirty minutes into next week's episode, that might do it. Yeah, that might be a way to, to clear things around. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll call some people and see what I can get done. Yeah, but uh, so yeah, let me know if that works out. Um, <laughs> well, you'll know next week. I, it's just seeing. I like the cross cutting. It's just uh, I was like, when when is the Glenn and when when are we going to see Glenn and, and Deanna like 
deal with what happened in some way and it never really came but i can understand if it's coming to a head at some point but it's like they already filmed a nicholas video shouldn't they have filmed it, yeah it i'm like going another to side assume of this they we didn't did film see. one we just didn't see it because it was more important for rick to get this information directly from him i guess which is um, fair but it's like i like the diana character like so much i i that i i just wish i had more to grasp onto to get a better understanding of where she's at at this point beyond seeing like crazy rick and hearing about her so I, i'd like to hear her consider what's being told from the rick side of the equation as opposed to just being piled on the reasons why rick shouldn't be there yeah it, it seems like it's coming fast and furious like against rick and the group ever since abraham you know dre- delivered his little prophecy or whatever at the end of the, the episode before gabriel, last. yeah or gabriel i'm sorry Hey, my, I got my biblical names mixed, mixed up. I'm sorry. You know. <laughs> it was Methuselah, Jim. <laughs> it was Jehoshaphat. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, it just seems like I agree with Aaron. The pace has just been like really, really quick as far as like, you know, the, the House of Cards kind of falling to, you know, when it comes to a boiling point here at the end of this episode. I, it almost seems like, you know, we've been introduced to these Alexandrians or whatever, but I don't really feel like I, I, I have a sense of their community. You know what I mean? As a group, they just seem like you know random characters that just happen to be in this space. The best attempt they've done is having that party, which is well done. Like you, get, I get a sense you understand where the Alexandrians are compared to where Rick's and, Rick and the gang is. Obviously, Rick and the gang have suffered a lot of things, but um, the Alexandrians, you can tell, like yeah, they're not. They, they don't know what this life is. They may uh, they they may have lost people, and that's sad and everything. But they don't know right. what it is to live outside in the wild. And you get that from the conversations they were having, the way they're all dressed, just thing, just little things like that, which is good. I like. I, I have very few complaints about this whole Alexandrian arc so far. Like, I really like what this show's, especially because it's different. Like, it's a nice change of pace from opposed to last season where everyone's just walking around the woods for, you know, eight episodes. So this is, it's a nice, cool way to take things. I'm just, there is a lot of I, balance being going on. And it's handled a lot well than it would have been in previous seasons. It's just... It was still a little minor shakeups here and there. I wish that they we would, and probably my wish will come true next week. But I wish that we'd experience a non-zombie influenced death within the walls, because I still I I wonder if Deanna or any of them understand that they are all infected. You know, because they have they've taken oh, no precautions yeah. within inside the walls. Of what if somebody fell off a ladder and broke their neck and died, you know, or whatever. They have no, well, you know. To, to be fair, we don't really know that they don't have any protocol for this sort of thing. That we just we understand no, but that I'd they're like slow. To yeah. Well, yeah, that'd be, be nice to know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, one final thing to mention from that cross-cutting scene before we move on uh, is by the end, Diana bans both Glenn and Nicholas from the armory, and they're not allowed to venture outside the walls until she has gotten to the bottom of the situation. Which I thought was fair. Yeah, yeah. So the next morning, Rosita tells Michonne that Sasha has gone missing from her post in the bell tower. She had been there for a while, and then when someone came to take over, uh, she went missing. And before this, uh, Michonne is kind of looking at her old clothes and looking at her cop uniform and kind of deciding on which one she's going to put on. Um, But when Rosita comes in, uh, in the next scene, we see Michonne in her old-style clothes, and they head outside the walls to look for Sasha. Um, they they find a bunch of walkers shot in the back of the head, and they realize that ha- this has to be Sasha. She's pretty much the only one who's stealthy enough and has a, a good enough shot to do this effectively. And uh, they track her down. They find, like, the photos that she had been using as target practice uh, last episode or two weeks ago. And eventually they find her, 
and they help her eliminate a large pack of walkers the whole time with her telling them, I don't need your help, go back, I'm just clearing out the zombies. Kind of reminding me of uh, Morgan a little bit, even using the word clear. She's just trying to go through, be proactive, kill all these zombies. Yes, it it is an internal problem as well as her trying to be proactive, but she doesn't seem crazy as much as she seems angry, if that makes sense. It's, she's working through issues. Yes, exactly. I mean, it's plain and simple, and they kind of just need to let her be, because that she's she's they go they show up, and they're just you know making the situation worse. Because now she's not only angry because of everything else, and she's out trying to blow off that steam and kind of clear her head. They're making it worse by telling her to not do it, or that she needs to come back. They're just making her more angry and making the situation worse. I wish the power of montage was used over scenes like this because I just I don't really care about what's going on here. It's like I get it, and I feel like I already got it, and we're still being shown a good ten minutes of it. So it's just like, all right, there's other things I'm more concerned with, and I get that you're continuing to establish something, but I already get what that thing has been, and let's just speed that up. It looks cool, like good job, uh, you know, zombie heads being shot off and what have you. But uh, <laughs> let's move it. Let's move past this. Eventually, uh, the group of the three women decides to return to town. They're just kind of spent after uh, killing all the zombies. And there were a lot of them. It was a, a lot of zombies they were taking down very effectively. So, and there's some with W's on there. Or there's like at least one with a W in there. Yeah, you throughout the episode in various places with various characters, they're either discovering or we're seeing as the audience these W's carved. Or M's, as a lot of people say. We'll see. But uh, the letters carved into the zombies' heads. If if it's an M, I don't even know what I'll do <laughs> to like. <laughs> but if it's not an M, I think okay. it's pretty clear that these are sideways lightning bolts, and these are just the zombies who lived. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. Of course, that was good. Sure. So Glenn goes to confront Nick, um, and he tells him that men like Nicholas should have died to the Walkers, but he was lucky that Andrea's Alexandria's walls came up when they did, because otherwise he'd already be dead long ago. And Glenn kind of threatens Nicholas. He says, never step outside these walls again. Never go on a supply run. Never do any of this. And when Nicholas says to him, are you threatening me? He goes, no, I'm trying to save you. Um, But uh, in the next scene, or later on in the episode, we see that Nicholas is not going to listen to Glenn's advice. And he heads out into the woods and digs up a canister that has a gun in it. The same gun that Rick had stashed in the blender when they got to Alexandria. Chekhov's blender gun. (laughs) <laughs> this is uh, it's good stuff, um, particularly the Glenn, Glenn confrontation stuff. I like Glenn um, being you know fairly proactive in what he's trying to communicate. And I said in my written, re- I wrote in my written review that uh, Glenn is very much like a kind of early Rick in the series, and I I like that. It's a uh, that's a good point. There's only there's only so much that we're allowing, uh, or that the show is allowing uh, Stephen Yoon to do, but. I I like this stuff that we've seen him go through recently. And it's worth noting that when he's having this conversation, might be a stretch, but this this talk to Nicholas, it's remarkably lacking in malice. He is angry, but when he says, I'm trying to save you, it comes off as legitimate. Yeah, Glenn's Glenn's very earnest, and it shows. (laughs) And I wish Glenn had said, I could have left you behind. I could have just let you die, and I didn't. You need to listen to me. But that's just a minor gripe on my part. But it's uh, it's good, and like as opposed to the Sasha stuff, um, this stuff, you know, it's it's fr- it's more fresh, um, and it's not, I mean, it's not enti- it's 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 about the same kind of level of 
necessity compared to like Sasha stuff in terms of things happening right now currently, but I just, I feel for it more. Like there's more, even with Nicholas, who's a character, you know, we know nothing about beyond like he's a dick, sorry, couch dick. Um, (laughs) It's, um, it just, it, it registers better. It gives me a better sense of the Rick versus Alexandria way, the coming in from the wild versus civilization way it's just these little things about it that just make it work for me and it's you know not very long it just takes as much time as it needs to and moves oh you just reminded me of something that i kind of skipped over from the michonne and sasha scenes but when michonne is watching sasha take out these walkers michonne starts having some flashbacks to herself as well from kind of before she came back to humanity and uh, she eventually picks up the gun and starts letting off some steam as well. So there's that that struggle, which we'll get back to later, of Michonne, again, with the clothes and with that scene as well of, is she ready to live a civilized life, quote-unquote, or is she still kind of that caged animal that she had been outside the walls? Is she still the hunter, or is she going to be a human? That was a well-done scene. If I want to counter myself in terms of my argument is against Sasha, yeah, having Michonne involved in the scene as well and giving her flashbacks to what she was like, I can see how showing those that juxtaposition informs the the later parts of this episode where it matters, even though we've gotten a lot of setup for Michonne to be acting a certain way throughout the season. But, you know, it's good it's good stuff. Like the acting is good, like the performances are good and everything. And it was good stealth setup because you feel like it's a Sasha scene until it becomes a Michonne scene momentarily goes back to Sasha and then by the end of the episode you realize the whole point of that was Michonne. And Rosita's around. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, to be to its credit, this is a show that has, you know, two Two black actresses and a, a Latino actress, um, all females, not talking about, you know, lovers' triangles or whatever and, you know, just dealing with shit. I mean, sorry. But um, so it's, 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 it's little things where the show doesn't need to call attention to itself on that factor. It's just it, that's what it is. In mentioning Rosita, though, that where she sweeps the leg Danielson style on that zombie was mm-hmm. awesome. Yes, it was. That was cool. Um, but, I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, long-time viewers obviously will see the same kind of rage as Sasha's dealing with, you know, in what, the way Michonne used to deal with everyone when they you know, first introduced the character on the show. So, I mean, it's easy to see how she could relate. But at least we've, we've again, to argue for Sasha, I guess we, we've seen what she's gone through as opposed to having only picked up some of the pieces of Michonne's backstory along the way. So, I mean, there's, I guess there's a variety there, which I can respect as well, so... So Carl, while all this is going on, more or less, uh, tries to follow Enid again through the woods, and uh, it's quickly revealed that Enid knows he's been following her, and at least in her estimation, he's not very good at it. He's making too much noise. He doesn't even know exactly where she is, uh, but she eventually lets him know where she is, and he follows her out into the woods. Uh, They sit down, they bond a little bit over shared experiences, they both kind of note that they're afraid of each other in a way, and then they eventually have to hide from zombies in a hollow tree where they do not end up K-I-S-S-I-N-G, but it feels like it's going that way eventually. And I kind of liked this scene between them. They both held their own um, as young actors. It felt believable enough for me, and generally, you know, there's a high bar to clear when it comes to a scene that just involves teenage actors, and if it doesn't make me want to turn off the television, which this did not, that's pretty good. I'll take what I can get. Kiss the Goral, Coral. <laughs> Come on, Coral. Coral's in love. It was cool to see Chandler Riggs on Talking Dead after, though, when they were discussing this scene, and he turned like 99 shades of red. I mean, just, <laughs> it was so funny. 
But it, it was a good scene. We're introduced to Enid being very resourceful with the kitchen timer. Um, she has a knife that will probably come back into play at some point. That was her mom's. Um, so they can bond over dead mothers, Batman style. And, you know, there, there's a lot of good stuff there. Two things. Um, I've been saying for weeks that I need Chandler Riggs to do more. Uh, I need some, something to happen with him because I've come to enjoy quite a bit what the show has to offer in regards to Coral. Um, and so, yeah, they gave him something to work with, which is nice. And I'm sure we'll see a minor follow-up on that next week or whatever. And also, what if Enid's carving W's into heads? What if she is? Yeah. She does have a big old knife. What yeah. if it's a sideways E? <laughs> What if she's a really big fan of the end of Inglorious Bastards? <laughs> this might just be her masterpiece. It's just something I thought of as she brought out that giant knife. It's like, what if she's doing this W stuff? But then again, is she also tying walkers to trees and making a scene of True Detective on the show, too? But I don't know. She's just a really big fan of that Oliver Stone movie. Or humans to trees, I guess, that turn into walkers because of, you know, the devouring of their bodies. But we'll get to that. Uh, speaking of that, because that's the very next thing we're going to get to, uh, oh. Daryl and Aaron are outside the walls. They, again, notice more walkers that have been coming into the area. They see walkers with W's on their heads. And at nighttime, they see a fire off in the distance. So in the morning, they go to investigate it. And they find uh, some more dismembered walkers or dismembered dead bodies, whether they were walkers at the time or not. Uh, and then they find what appeared to be, as far as, uh, I'm assuming that I didn't misread this, but a nude uh, adult woman tied to a tree who had her entrails ripped out by zombies and was now zombified herself. Although, like you said, Aaron, she probably was not a zombie at the time she was tied to the tree. Um, and Daryl eventually puts her out of her, her misery. But he points out to Aaron that both the dismembered body and this body, they were recent. This just happened. It's fresh, yeah. Now, don't and... they find another uh, W mark here, too? Yeah, there's a W carved onto her forehead. And it's, uh, th th the implication there is pretty nasty because this is a person that was tied to a tree while alive and their death was basically Aiden's except less fitting. <laughs> um, just as someone just, or walkers just came and ate their insides out. And that's not a, not a pleasant way to go. I'd imagine. Um, and worth noting that it's pretty much exactly what Carol threatened to do to major Dodson a few episodes ago. Yes. Uh, kind of uh, creepy. The other thing though, I don't think Carol did this. I'd like to make that clear. I'm no, just yeah, saying sure. interesting symmetry. Or it is Major Dodson, and he grew up into a nude woman. Um, the, <laughs> when uh, when Daryl says, um, there's been a lot more walkers lately, I'm thinking, well, maybe it's because you're driving the loudest motorcycle possible <laughs> all over the grounds. <laughs> That's just me. I don't know. Yeah, but doesn't it seem like Aaron is trying to bring the walkers towards Alexandria? No. Based on what? Well, I mean, what was the whole purpose of calling out the zombie with the the timer and I don't know it just seemed to me like she was trying to hurt them that was Enid Enid isn't that what I said you said, said Aaron. Aaron oh I meant Enid <laughs> that's what I meant yeah, I Aaron's meant a dude <laughs> I think I think that was just her distracting the zombie so she could have time to not do anything yeah maybe I don't know that's yeah. how I was reading it is more of a kind of a, a way to not encounter the encounter or, you know not to not to engage, but just to have safety, essentially. Because yeah. you know how we learned in season two how the hordes form, and it just you know it do, it does seem at least for us watching the episode, there's a lot more zombies in the area than there have been in the last few episodes. Which I think has to do more with the 
whatever the W thing might be and what's going True. on there rather than... It's True. Voldemort. It's Voldemort, yeah. <laughs> Sauron's returned. Sauron's I'm sorry, returned. he should not be named. But the... It's Rivers Cuomo and the, the new Weezer tour. So they're, they're <laughs> grassroots promotion. There's a, there's a sale going on. They're all marching to it. So we then catch up with Rick, who approaches Deanna about Pete's abusive behavior. I believe the scene happens at those four um, freshly dug graves, which we never do find out who the four graves are for. But uh, there are four graves there. They could just be recent-ish. Maybe they're the two other people who had died um, on Aiden's patrol, and then Aiden, um, and then maybe one for uh, for Tara if she passes, which she doesn't in this episode. But I just assumed it was people from the supply runs whose bodies they were able to bring back in some capacity. They were just so fresh that it was it was worth noting. I thought that because when we saw it in the previous next week, it was like, oh, does Tara die? And then who's this fourth uh, grave for? Well, I mean, but, when uh, they we first meet Aiden and Nicholas, they're still beating the same zombie that got some of their people killed. So, I mean, it must have happened fairly recently. Right, right. So that's three now, but I'm just curious as to who the fourth one is. But re- regardless, it's just me nitpicking yeah, yeah. And, and being curious about, uh, you know, fluff and stuff more than anything else. But so Rick approaches Deanna about Pete's abusive behavior, um, which he learned from Carol, and he's shocked when Deanna reveals she already knows about it. Which was um, cool. Which that was a I cool thought it was reveal. a cool twist. Yeah. Like, I liked my idea last week of he, him not actually beating her and it being a misread on Carol's part, but having this twist instead I thought worked pretty well I, I like how the show the show double backed is like yeah he's definitely a wife beater guys like, it's just like you really want to hammer that home oh but he's a surgeon and he helps out so much so I'm just gonna overlook it yeah I mean she obviously I mean Deanna's obviously a smart cookie and I'm glad they played the characters not being that stupid I mean if they lived together that long in that tightly knit of a neighborhood and, and community I'm sure that you know she would have figured it out so it definitely made sense story wise and as much as I don't like Deanna's decision to let him stay because he's invaluable to the community, I do get why that might be a decision she might have to make if they really do need a doctor because a lot of them are idiots and tend to get hurt in stupid ways. Having a surgeon, it, it's a Sophie's Choice type situation, but they do need him, even if he's awful. It's Yeah, it's, the, it's a definite tough call that you have to deal with because you're in a situation where... You can't just call for backup. You can't call for the other surgeon. You have to have this person here. I I don't... I mean, she she believes that it could have sorted itself out, but it hasn't, and there's repercussions now because of this, but... I, this, these are these are things that I like. I, that's why I enjoy Diana. I like that she already knows this. I like that she she's already had to kind of figure out how to deal with this in the kind of horrible scenario that they're presented with of a zombie apocalypse and the nature of you know a wife beater existing in their neighborhood where they only have one surge. It's just all these things really add up to me. Well, on the bright side, he can perform surgery on Jesse when he causes the internal bleeding, beating the crap out of her. So it's all a wash. It's certainly not a pleasant situation. But Rick, you know, suggests killing him or getting rid of him in some other way, separating him from Jesse, and Deanna is not willing to do these things. She says if it comes down to it, that Pete will be exiled. That's the way they do things in Alexandria. But Rick believes exiling Pete will only put Alexandria in more danger. I was kind of surprised that Rick was so forward with Deanna on he needs to die. I mean... No leading up to it, no thinking some other alternatives. Nope, we need to kill him. It just, it instantly gave me thoughts of the governor. Like, it seems to me Rick's smart enough, or or has been shown to be smart enough at some points when his his, uh, judgment has not been clouded like it is now. Why not just exile him and then have Sasha track him down and shoot him in the back of the head? 
without anybody else knowing. Like, that right. seems like a pretty equitable solution for him when it might be kind of evil, but still equitable. In I, would, I would agree that Rick's not playing things as close to the vest like that as he should be compared to, you know, the whole we'll take over this whole damn town plan if things don't work out the way we want them to thing that he's also got going on with Carol and Daryl. But um, I guess if to play devil's advocate on this side of Rick's logic here, I can understand if he wants to establish a certain level of trust of Diana in terms of how to handle various scenarios. Uh, something like this, I guess he wants to give her the full kind of information on how he would handle something like this and what he thinks is absolutely necessary as opposed to this kind of other background plans he has in mind. Like, it's it's hard to... I do think it comes it comes into what um, Jub Toad, you've been saying about kind of Rick going over the top and a little too far this episode. I agree with that. I do think there's kind of a rush of getting us to get to this place that we get to and having him say something like, we're going to kill him directly to Diana, kind of betrays the whole, I have ways to get around these people in Alexandria thing, but eh, it's... It's, there's, there's some, Rick's not thinking straight either all the when time. When did Rick <laughs> stop being smart? Well, this kind of reminded me of... Do you remember when they were planning to go into the hospital to save Carol and save Beth or whatever? And Rick mm-hmm. was like, we kill here, here, we kill this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. And Tyrese is like, well, why don't we just go here? You know, and avoid all yeah. that. And it seems like, you know, the, it's the same kind of all or nothing mentality. It's like, you know, uh, why don't we exile him? Nope, have to kill him. You know, what? Well, what can we do? No, we have to, you know, it's like there's there's no room for negotiation with Rick at this point. I think his, his judgment could be being clouded by the fact that he has feelings for Jesse and just yeah, well, stu- exactly. there's stuff going on with his unhinged nature is kind of affecting him, I guess. And that's, I guess, a way to argue why he's not, why he didn't double back with Carol or, you know, anyone else that might have sided with him on how to deal with something like this beforehand before going head on and with Deanna to discuss it. Right. So Rick goes to Jesse uh, because uh, Deanna has not been particularly helpful as far as he's concerned. Um, And she, and he tells her that he knows Pete's abusing her and Jesse reveals that she thinks she can fix the situation. They've been through this before. They got counseling. It got better. And then she doesn't say exactly when it got worse again, but I think it's a safe assumption that it was sometime after the end of the world um, that this happened again. And she thinks she can fix it, but Rick is not convinced. And he tells her that Sam asked for a gun to protect her and that even in Alexandria, she needs to fight to survive. Just because they're inside of the walls doesn't make any difference. If you want to live, you have to fight. And why didn't Rick share that with Deanna? That, the kid came asking for a gun. Well, why did he come to ask Carol for a gun? Because Carol was stealing guns, and that's information he doesn't want out there. Well, but there's ways... I don't know. I'm just I saying... Think, well, I think the, the point's already been made that Pete is a threat. I don't think he needed to add on to it by saying he's so much of a threat that this happened. It's just more... Like, they both know that Pete's doing... That Pete's beating his wife. I mean, there's saying the son wants a gun because of how bad the beating of the wife is. I don't think that makes it any worse that he's beating the wife. I mean, it's... now, and maybe it's because I was lucky to grow up with two parents that weren't abusive in any way. But I think that it becomes even more serious of an issue when the eight year old, nine year old kid wants to put harm against his father. I mean, you know. That's a very volatile and dangerous situation. I think even more dangerous than just the fact that he's beaten Jesse. Which is fair. I mean, the the only way to explain it basically is not everyone can think of everything to do in the situation. I mean, no, there's 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 so many things, there's so many wheels turning in this, and Rick's balancing right. so many things in terms of how to be the leader of one group and be the constable everywhere. Like, it, there's just 
he can't think of everything. I mean, that's and had Deanna not you know already known like if he came to her with this information and she it was a blind side to her he might have brought that up as True. a way to yeah, prove it but once she kind of caught him off guard with oh yeah i know that's going on i think that kind of throws yeah. a wrench into the situation i mean i can see that i'm just i don't know i hear you spitball because to me that just that's more dangerous of a situation i mean the kid's desperate to protect his mom Next thing you know, he's going to get some bright idea to go try and let a walker in to attack his dad or something, you know, something stupid. Or, you know, he's going to try to attack his dad with a wrench or something. And, of course, his dad, being much stronger and larger, is not going to be affected if he's not caught off guard and probably going to turn around and beat the kid within an inch of his life. Just saying, there's a lot, there's so many ways that this could go. So I see rick's concern but he handles this so wrong this conversation with jesse to um to back up a bit about jesse because i'm curious what you guys think of of her uh chubbs you mentioned uh deanna being wishwashy i feel jesse is more the wishwashy one like i think i, Alex, I agree i think alexandra breckenridge um, i think she's doing a fine job acting the character but i think there's some some issues in terms of how she's handled like at because rick so rick comes in and he talks to her and and she basically says like no, <laughs> and um, then Rick goes outside, has a weird breakdown of sorts, and goes back inside, and then brings up the whole gun thing, and kind of like threateningly tells her is like just tell me yes, and I'll do this, and she agrees at that point to want him to do something. So I'm curious if you're thinking it comes more as like if Jesse's too afraid of Rick to say no to him too, given that she's, you know, being beaten by a husband already, or there's just some kind of weakness in the writing of her character where it's like, all right, yeah, sure, Rick. Well, it's a possibility of both, but I'll I'll tell you, um, you know, my office in my real life is inside a women's prison, and I've ran into quite a few that have been through the abusive stuff and things like that, and Mm -hmm. It does seem to be in the nature of those that tend to think that they can solve it themselves, like Jesse is saying, to be wishy-washy and try to satisfy what everybody's around her is saying. She's going to try and satisfy Pete. She's going to try and hide the fact. She's going to try and, you know, remember when he got better that time. And she's going to use that excuses. So, I mean, that, that it, it, to me, speaks very well to the character of a woman being abused well i mean also i mean considering that you know they um you know deanna knows that you know she's being abused and yet let you know let it go on i mean that's all she could do was hope and pray that things would get better you know i mean she had no out true until she saw rick and like you know it just seems like i don't know if it's like half opportunism or 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 what but um you know she seems like seeing in rick her, her way out and um and then, you know, at the last minute, kind of backpedals, like, well, no, no, I can make him better or whatever. That's what I was already doing. And, but... Jim, you, you phrase it that way, that actually makes me intrigued by how far she's actually might have planned this out in some way, where, you know, Rick arrives in town, he's the new sheriff, he's the new sheriff in town, and Jesse sees this, and that's how, like, giving her the, giving him the haircut was, like, the first step in her plan of getting mm-hmm. away from evil Portradick. So, yeah, that's, well, that... that's, now an inter- that's now an interesting way to think about it. <laughs> It's also worth noting, and and I like uh, Richard have thankfully not had to deal with you know abusive uh, fathers or, or husbands type thing in in my own life. So thankfully, um, but it also to me read very real in terms of a lot of the um, misplaced hope that you can often find in those situations with a battered spouse. But 
particularly what jumped out to me was that she, I think, also sees how semi-unhinged Rick is. And she is, you know, just like we, uh, we talked about and they talked about in the episode with Carl being scared of Enid and Enid being scared of, of Carl. It's a similar thing there. This is a guy who, yes, may be a way out of this, but is clearly not all there in the head at this moment. Kisses her at the party when anyone could have seen, is barging into her house and, you know, saying, I'll kill your husband for you. Uh, he was already married and is still wearing his ring. And I could see how she's worried that, yeah, maybe he gets rid of Pete, but maybe he's Pete 2.0, you know. And, may, you know, that's why she's interrogating, would you do this for anyone or just for me? Do you actually love me or do you just think you're being a white knight? Um you know, what, what is actually going on here? Is this actually going to work out in my favor? Because if it doesn't, and this backfires, like he, Rick had already warned her, the next step in an abusive relationship like this is you end up dead because it goes too far and he kills you. And if she makes the wrong decision here, it's just going to accelerate things along that path. He doesn't love her. He loves the idea of her. He loves Rick or the, Pete? He loves the idea of uh, saving Ray. her. I mean, he... I, I, agree, I agree with you. Rick, Rick... Rick sees a pretty woman and is in a bad place mentally and emotionally, and so, hey, this could be a great mother to my kids. He doesn't know her. He doesn't love her yet. He just loves the idea of her. I completely agree with you. I guess my, my reason of bringing up the nature of Jesse's character is, again, I think Breckenridge, she's acting it fine. It's just I don't, I don't know if the show's communicating exactly what Je- – I mean, it, yes, obviously there's nuance and subtleties that you know could be into play, but I, think, I, don't, think, I don't know if the show's doing – everything it can to show me that Jesse might actually be frightened of Rick. So she asked him, like I already mentioned, are you, would you do this for anyone or just for me? And I was actually surprised at Rick's answer. Cause I thought he was going to say, I don't know, or just not answer. But he answers, no, I wouldn't do it for anyone. I'm specifically doing it for you. And she eventually agrees. And that's when Pete shows up and he, he wants Rick out of there. He's confused. Well, he, he's not really confused to what's going on. He knows what's going on or has at least a decent enough idea. And he wants Rick out of his house. Um, but Jesse stands up for herself. She orders Pete to leave. Pete grows angry, and the two men start fighting. Uh, they eventually defenestrate themselves and end up in the street, where the entire town gets to witness the pretty bloody brawl. By the end of it, they're both kind of covered in blood. Jesse tries to jump in and pull Pete off. He punches her away. Carl tries to jump in and pull Rick off. Rick backhands him, uh, not really knowing who it is, but not really yeah, caring just, either. Yeah. Rick eventually manages to subdue Pete and pulls out his gun and threatens to kill him if he steps out of line, which is when Deanna orders Rick to stand down. Rick points his gun at the crowd and goes on a long rant, which is pretty much straight from the comics, uh, telling everyone how Alexander has grown too complacent and it's going to eventually destroy itself if they don't listen to him. And in the middle of his rant, from out of nowhere, nicely not telegraphed, I thought, Michonne runs in and knocks Rick unconscious and takes his gun. Caught me by surprise. I was I a little shocked. Yeah. And yeah, I loved I, it, too. I, I told him, thank you, shut this man up. That was my exact <laughs> reaction out loud. I, I mean, it. Rick is just covered in blood. He's raving like he a madman. like man. a crazy person, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah it, it looks like something out of The Shining, you know. If he was coming through a door with an axe, you know, it wouldn't be all that dissimilar. This whole brawl, well shot. Like this is like this is a good street brawl of like this is like watching They Live. For I was second. gonna say it was it wasn't quite They Live, but it was all right. Uh, there was blo- it's bloodier. And it, <laughs> oh, it was wow. cool on Talking Dead when they showed how they shot that scene. It was very interesting. Very and cool. Pete's stunt double could be his twin brother. If you put those two guys next to each other and said which one's the actor, which one's the stunt double, I wouldn't be able to tell you. 
However, the guy that's the stunt double for Rick did not look like yeah. him. At all. Nothing like him. <laughs> it's actually a woman. I don't know. <laughs> it was Carl. It was weird. It's the um, old man from the Six Flags commercials. Um, the <laughs> issue I have with um, with Pete, I get that he's a drunkard, but the show really wants the show makes it very convenient as to when he is drunk. It seems like any time he enters the frame, he's always like, it. You know, it's like what two in the afternoon. <laughs> he's just like, what? What is this surgeon do? Like he's just a surgeon when they need him, I guess. But it's the which kind is of... right now because Tara's still in exactly right. Yeah. He, like he should be on duty. It, it would seem like there's things that have happened recently. Let alone like people from last week with the Abraham stuff. Like some people got hurt. I'd imagine. But regardless, it just Pete like the the way the Who's playing Pete? The uh, the way Corey Brill is acting as Pete, it just seems such a such an over the top version of like angry drunk who secretly beats his wife. Where like it just, I I I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if more than not just Deanna knew, given the way he's acting in just this scene. It's like, of course this guy beats his wife. Like that's the, that's exactly the look he's he's supposed to give. It doesn't play any nuance. With him being drunk all the time. I, I wouldn't want him operating on me or any of my loved ones. I would let Enid operate on me with her mother's knife before I let that drunkard porch dick come at me with a scalpel. That's, that's another thing, too. It's like, it, it's one thing to be the wife beater, but it's also another thing to be just a drunk. And if he's always drunk, as it seems, I don't know how much faith the whole community seems to have in the surgeon, that, that and they, yet they haven't done anything about it. It's just Well, he, he apparently gets results, at least according to Aaron, so I guess, maybe he's yeah. like a Don Draper who he operates best when he's at least He's a, a functional weird. alcoholic. Okay. Yeah. Maybe, maybe their only reference for surgeons are old reruns of MASH, and they think <laughs> drinking and surgery go together. I, I like that he's a functional alcoholic because selling ad space and and developing ad work is the same as doing brain surgery or something. Okay. Degree of difficulty. The same. I, I don't know any statistics about uh, doctors, but I know drug abuse and alcohol abuse is very rampant in lawyers. Um, and I, I know a lot of high-stress jobs like that. It does become a problem, um, and it's functional till it's not. Do we but, need to uh, stage an intervention on you, Jordan? No, not for me. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, unless it's for, like, vanilla Pepsi, which I was just drinking one before. But, yeah, we uh... might need to defenestrate him from the 7-Elevens. Defenestrate him the drive through window. Also, Michonne stuff, just awesome. I mean, yeah, I, I was recalling the comics a bit, and then I, like, I looked into it afterwards. I'm like, this seems really familiar, but just the way that was staged. I, I love so much how, and I've mentioned this in the past, how Rick has, has shown a lot of antagonistic qualities throughout this kind of portion of the season and while it's he's not doing anything that's like directly evil such as like gunning down a crew of helicopter army men like the governor does the first time we meet him he's still doing things that show the evolution of a person that could become the bad guy and i really like that the walking dead's playing with that and so seeing someone take action from rick's own group against him because of how clear it seems that he's becoming one of the people that he's you know had to fight against in past seasons i i just love the way the season's really getting at that point yes the alexandrians are dumb um to an extent in terms of kind of what's going on around them and yes there's people like gabriel that are just seeking to ruin everything but rick is no as good as capable as he is of keeping his people alive He's not exactly, like, number one hero I'm rooting for right now. If anything, it probably is Michonne who wants to not be in the wild anymore. She wants to find peace and be somewhere where she can have a roof over her head while also being weary of 
the dangers that do exist in the world. So if I wanted to see someone lead the group right now, Michonne is like my number one at this point, while crazy blood driven, blood covered Rick is like, I don't know if I want to follow this guy. Yeah. Um, what's the old adage? The, the best villains are the ones that see themselves as the hero. You know, I mean, Rick, yeah. Rick is seeing himself Absolutely. as like trying to tell them that, you know, they, they need to toughen up. They need to survive. And that's how he sees himself. But actually he's gone way past what he would have, been capable of you know in season one or season two and you know it's crossed over to that kind of almost you know to that villainous path you know and so it, it was it was cool i mean I, I know we don't like to reference comics or whatever but it was cool to see in the comics it's been uh, it was cool to see here too and compared to the governor who i've talked on this podcast about as not being a huge fan of how they kind of made him into the villain just it seemed more I didn't. I didn't like how it was done. This is done. This has made a good case for why Rick would not see himself as a villain, while we can see him kind of treading the lines. Again, he hasn't done. I wouldn't say he's the villain. I'd say he shows qualities of a villain, but he's not done anything evil. But I, the show has done enough to make me believe in Rick getting to this point, even if, as Chubb said at the beginning, it gets a little over the top. But I still believe in how the show has accomplished something like well, this. He's, yeah, he's doing some extreme things with some good intentions. I would say yeah. would be the well, best way to put it. I mean, it's not quite, like you said, straight-up evil or, or villainous, but, like, some, some over-the-top extreme reactions to things and, uh, you know, reactions to this new environment or whatever that definitely are, are treading the line, as you said. Well, I think it all traces back to the slaughter in the church. I think that that was the tipping point for Rick. And I just, and that's where it's shocking to me uh, when he approaches Deanna about, uh, Pete is because Rick was always the one to uh, oppose the the instant solution of we just need to kill this person because he didn't believe you know w- that we need to kill everyone, um, and now that's totally the opposite case. One of my favorite episodes of the whole run, eighteen miles out, was Rick trying to save the life of someone who was actually out to do him harm. You know that that kid. Um, from right. from from the the group or whatever, and him and Shane arguing over whether to kill the kid. I mean, from that to you know Rick's mentality. Oh, we got to kill this guy. We got to kill this guy. You know, you need you know, like you know, it's it's been quite a journey for the character. And like I said, we've seen you know him doing the wrong things for the right reasons, the right intentions, and uh, like like and as Aaron said, not quite out and out a villain. You know, he's definitely you know on the edge there you can go back further chubs from the from the uh, the church to the last season um when he bites the neck out of the guy i think that's yeah. the point where he's just there's just no yeah, there's no there's point. nothing else anymore like that's like that's it like if there's going to be people, people like this out in the world i gotta just be the guy that kills people to get in my way at this point <laughs> and that's well not, but not he just... kind of was forced into that well i guess he was forced into the church as well a yeah. little bit but in the church there was some choice they could have trapped them done something different the biting uh, the claimer's neck out that, you know, he was, was in the, the middle. It was of, the only and, way to deal with the situation. Yes. Right. And, and if I remember right, wasn't someone trying to mess with Carl and everything yeah. in that scene. So, I mean, to me, that was a no brainer, no choice. It's, there was no morality that entered into that. It was, you know, fight for survival. Um, whereas the church, they could have, he could, they could have done, done it a bit differently. But yeah, I mean, definitely going back to there, that's a good point. I mean, that's the point where he starts going more towards the hasty decisions. 
So before we get to our Buster ratings, let's take a moment to thank our sponsors. Of course, first off, we are a proud member of the HHWLOD Podcast Network here at Walking Dead TV Podcast. And you can find the HHWLOD Podcast Network at HHWLOD.com, where you can find a lot of us on other shows as well. Jim and Rich, you guys are on the DCTV Podcast. What's the DCTV Podcast talking about this week? Well, things are really getting cool on The Flash right now with uh, a lot of time travel oh, being so introduced cool. and... Uh, we finally uh, got the definitive uh, um, story on the reverse Flash. A lot of cool stuff going down in the Flash. And uh, we just uh, got done re- in the latest episode reviewing the pilot for iZombie, uh, which is, uh, I would get, you know, say one part Walking Dead and one part Veronica Mars. I was really pleasantly surprised by the pilot. I was very surprised. <laughs> yeah, and uh, of course, recovering Arrow as well with the whole Rachel Gould storyline. Um, all the DCTV uh, that's, you know, that fits the print there on the DCTV podcast. Check it out. And Aaron, you are the Aaron of Out Now with Aaron and Abe. So what are you guys talking about on this week's episode? You know, as I knew you were going to ask me that question, I was like, what the hell did we talk about? Because the movie's so forgettable. We were talking about the Divergent Saga, colon, Insurgent <laughs> this week. Um, wow. It is definitely a movie that we saw. Um, is the sequel to Divergent, so those are actual facts about said movie. But no, we have a lot of fun on the podcast this week. That's one of the things that we talk about. We also have a commentary coming soon, which will be sponsored, of course, by the Fast and Furious series, because there's a new entry coming that way. There's a lot of fun things coming up and out now. Very, very cool. And of course, you can hear me on Jersey Shore, uh, which should have a new episode posting about the same time this does. Although I said that last week, too, and I still haven't posted that episode, so I've been behind. But regardless, there are a ton of great shows at HHWLOD.com, and I'm sure you'd enjoy the Whedonverse podcast, our newest one, which is currently making its way through the second season of uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which is a lot of fun. Uh, Half Hour Wasted, The Long Box of Doom, The Black Box, and many, many others. So check it out. You're going to find something you're going to like there. But we're also brought to you. Uh, by DCB Service. That's Discount Comic Book Service at DCBService.com. Guys, what is great about DCB Service? Just everything. What's not great? <laughs> uh, you're going to get lots of comics at deep, deep discounts. And not just comics, but comic book-related merchandise. What's some of the comic book-related merchandise you can get at DCB Service? Oh, you can get statues, you can get action figures, you can get t-shirts, hoodies, uh, all kinds of great stuff. Anything that you can find in the previous catalog, you can get at DCB Service at a deep discount. And not only do you get discounts, you get really good customer service there. Uh, they really care about what they're doing. They uh, they have really great returns. They have bundle deals. Uh, I know my kids are really into Tiny Titans. I'm going to take advantage of this uh, DC Kids Bundle, uh, 50% off uh, for only two ninety eight for a whole bunch of uh, kids' books for, for my kids. Uh, but, I mean, if you're into The Walking Dead, and even if you haven't read the comics, which, you know, you probably should, because... If you like the show, you'll probably like those. You can get, you know, as I said, action figures. You can get your the new um, uh, McFarlane Daryl uh, Dixon uh, Chopper diorama that just came out. I don't know if you guys saw that online. Pretty I, sweet. I actually just put mine together, and it's sitting right here. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, nice. <laughs> I know, it looks great. I, I, I'm hoping to get one at a con this summer. But you can order from DCB Service at a deep discount. Um, you know, you want to get a T-shirt of Michonne or, or you know, whatever, you know, like I said, anything that's available in the previous catalog, and that's quite a bit. I mean, uh, you can find a DCB service at a great discount, and you're working with good people who will uh, do right by you. So, Hey, they support this show. They must be worth supporting themselves. Exactly. Well, and not only that, if you're like me, I've gone more towards reading trades than buying floppies. Um, their sister site, InStockTrades.com, is definitely somewhere to go as well if you're more into the trade paperbacks. Um 
I mean, shoot, I pretty much spend almost half what I would if I were buying them in the bookstore or comic shop. And if you're if you like a good bargain like I do, just go to their site, go to the top right there on the banner, and hit specials, and there are literally forty or fifty pages of stuff that is marked down fifty, sixty, seventy-five percent. Um, cheaper than Amazon in some cases. I mean, it's really, I, I like a good deal. So that's what, that's uh, how I shop DCB service. But again, check them out there. They've been great sponsor to us and they're a great service. Absolutely. So go to DCBService.com or InStockTrades.com and give your support to Discount Comic Book Service because they support us and we really appreciate that. So let's move on to the Buster ratings. Of course, one is bad, five is great. So on a scale of one to five Busters, uh, Jim, how many would you give this episode? I I don't know. I, again, it just seemed like a, a lot. A lot of the parts moving into place for what's bound to be a really great uh, ninety-minute finale next week. Uh, so, yeah, sorry, Jerry, to spoil that for you. Those ninety minutes. Um, I have to. I don't know. I probably I, everything. All things being equal, that the you know Michonne's punch at the end. I'll, I'll give it a, a, four, a solid four out of five. This one's really hard for me to grade because there are some things in this episode that. I left me scratching my head or I just didn't really like, or like I said earlier, went a little over the top, but I have a feeling like Jim said, it's parts moving into place for next week. So it's probably going to pay off. So it's, I'm just going to play it safe and go right down the middle with a three. I guess about a three and a half. It's a weird episode to grade. Cause it's not, yeah, again, it's not a much of a, it's it's all it's all set up for other things, but it has a pretty cool finale. So I guess a three and a half would be the best way to do it. This is why I don't like <laughs> I don't put these in the written reviews. So it's like it's like whatever three and a half. Okay. Yeah, as I kind of said at the beginning of this week's episode, I kind of thought this was a three with moments of five splashed in the Aaron and and Daryl stuff, um, Michonne coming at the end and Crazy Rick, and that was a really good brawl there. Um, and with Sasha, we didn't even talk about this, but Sasha taking out zombies from the tower, sniper style, while that was going on. There were some cool things in it, but in general, it was a fine episode. It was a solid episode, but I wasn't really into it. So I'm I'm going to be right around where you are, Aaron. I think I'm going to go with the 375. Um, it was fine, but I'm really excited for next week's 90-minute finale. Um, and we kind of always have this problem with the penultimate episodes of a season or, or a mid-season a lot of times as well. Of it is a lot of table setting. It is a lot of moving the pieces around the board, getting them where they need to be. And you know, necessary evil might be the wrong phrase, but it is a necessary tedium, if you will, to get those pieces in place so we can have lots and lots of explosions next week and all that kind of stuff, be they literal or metaphorical explosions. Um, but that's just the nature of the beast. And if it makes the finale better, well then. I'll, I'll take it. So 3.75 for me. But who cares about what I think? Who cares about what the rest of us think? Jim, you're hooked into the Walking Dead TV podcast Facebook group. What do our listeners have to think about this episode? Well, ladies and gentlemen, we have a, we indeed do have a Facebook group. It's called the Walking Dead TV podcast Facebook group. Oddly enough, because you are listening to the Walking Dead TV podcast. So that makes total sense. And every week we ask our, our list fine uh, members of our group to sound off with their comments and their little mini reviews of each episode as they come out and as always they do not disappoint and they have a lot of things to say starting with brent jones this time a 3.75 michonne's leather pants out of five uh, enjoyed the ending but it was too soap opera for me crazy rick snapping was highly enjoyable to watch uh, i understand the cast is so large it's hard to get everyone screen time but this one didn't do much for me uh, susan monk 4.75 new rick tatorships out of five minus one 
to me, you are a perfect sign for a total of 3.75 knockout punches from Michonne. Okay, there's a lot of math in that one. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> I was told there would be no math. I was told there'd be punch and pie. I didn't get that either. Uh, they had me at Nine Inch Nails. Well, there was tuna casserole. That's yeah, but they've like been sitting out all pie. night. I'm not going to touch that. Salmonella waiting to happen, yeah. pal. Uh, Sasha, Carl, Glenn, and Daryl have lost me at Rick and Jesse. And hashtag uh, Walking Dead Math. So thanks, Susan. Uh, Trisha Terrell Collins, four out of five of those 99 red balloons. Uh, Michonne's cold cock of Rick was the best. Nice setup for next week. Uh, Everard Santa Marina, uh, 2.5 dismembered and consumed walkers with a capital W. Well, I thought the Rick P confrontation would go entirely differently. I did not see Rick doing that. Uh, after doing the right thing for so long, they're giving Rick a bad path to follow. Uh, but it seems like the show has a plan, and I'll let them play this out. Uh, Mike Jones, four funeral mixtapes out of five. I felt like Andrew Lincoln really shined in this episode after last week's Father Gabriel and Maggie Bowman. Were they, uh, where were they this week? I uh, love the scenes with Aaron and Daryl and the build-up to the W Gang. I guess it's a group of Alexandria citizens who have been banished. Uh, good guess. Um, I also sure. think that I have good chemistry with Daryl, by the way, just saying. Okay. <laughs> Lucky bastard. Um, Michonne is on my crap list for hitting Rick, though. Not cool. <laughs> uh, Chris Pierce, four out of five casseroles out of five. Amen, brother. The casserole was a real victim here. Uh, the Enid and Carl running through the woods reminded me of my girl. Uh, only with zombies instead of a beehive. <laughs> uh, Max Silver, 3.5 out of five enarls. Oh, I get it. I, I see what you did there. Very clever. Uh, honestly, it was just a three until Michonne shot Rick up. Uh, this stuff feels way more forced on TV than it does in the comic. Side note, why, how is the hell Nicholas alive? Seriously, two weeks in a row, total a-hole. Uh, Robert Negro, four, three, uh, or three flying porch dicks out of five. <laughs> the episode felt a little more rushed. I felt Deanna, I guess Deanna's still thinking about the lot that Father Gabriel gave her to think about. I'm, I was sure... Sasha, who screwed up, sure, uh, would be the one to snap way harder than Rick has over a little tail and a little security. Uh, P.S. If Rick starts taking, talking to dead people on the phone again, I'm out. Uh, Samantha Choppy, 3.5 empty graves out of 5. No, really, what was left to bury? That's true. Uh, Mary Cherpecchia, I will give this one a 3.7 Rick the new Shane out of 5. Uh, nice. Uh, certainly an episode that brings us down from last week's excitement. Uh, and heartache, but decent enough as a whole. As much as I love seeing an unhinged Rick, well done, Andrew Lincoln. Uh, I love that Glenna stepped up as the voice of reason. That also worries me. Uh, sadly, the show is in desperate need of more time to develop characters. I wish AMC would take a page from FX and add 15 to 20 more like they did with uh, Sons of Anarchy. Uh, there are lots of balls or balloons in the air. It would be nice to have been given more time. Uh, well, maybe next week you'll get your wish. Mary. Yeah, everyone's everyone's getting their wish. That's yeah. for sure. Uh, David J. Gehrig, uh, 4.5 Teenage Butterflies out of 5. Nearly perfect episode. Hmm. I think this show is at its best when it hits all the bases uh, across an episode like this one. It's equal parts soap opera, tension builder mystery, and horror flick. Throwing Rick's loins and alpha instincts to unhinge him a little, and you have a winner. Um, plus, Michonne Pistol Whip steals this show. Bravo. Uh, Belinda Cargig, 3. Distressed mother is not thinking clearly out of five. Yes, that is right. I said three. Hey, Rick, get some ass and shake that sickening puppy dogging the idiot Jesse off. Yeah, he fights 
across country to save his family, but one whiff of this girl, and he's ready to get him, his group, and his children thrown out of sanctuary for it. Um, she's a witch. She's a bit of a charmer. Uh, Ian Tim's for The Walking Dead is not a soap opera out of five, so is Rick the new baddie? That would make an interesting anti-hero. Would Daryl have to kill him off? Or maybe Coral? That would be some television, no doubt. Uh, Richard Chopper Cherry Charrington, 3.75 cold uneaten casseroles out of five. Yes, I'm with you, sir. Uh, slowly building until next week's finale. Loved Unhinged Rick and who was in the house with the light that Daryl spotted. Are the wolves going to appear? Uh, all will be revealed in the last episode next week. Plus, us Brits are being treated to an episode of The Talking Dead straight after Fox UK. We don't usually get that. Well, that's awesome. Uh, Roger Austin, 4.5 crimson masks out of 5. Rick going full-blown crazy Rick and still making sense was awesome and a great end to the episode. I thought Rich, uh, Rick had too much trouble in the fight with Mr. Porch Dick, but he still won, so no harm. He's got drunk doctor strength. You can't beat that. <laughs> Craig Dumonda, 4.2. Corals, Papa's out of five. Jiggy Jaw Jaw Do. <laughs> They're referring to the uh, the um, that rap they did with the Carl with the bad bad overdubs, right? Oh, that was, yeah. Yeah, yes. okay. Call me Carl Papa. It's amazing how Rick is transforming into Shane in so many ways, but I like it. It's time to take over Alexander and prepare for a war with the W gang. Can't wait to see Morgan next week. I hope he joins the group and becomes a regular. And uh, if you would like to join our Facebook group, we'd love to have you. We keep it well stocked with news. Also, uh, Aaron writes uh, for the young folks every week a review of each episode of The Walking Dead. You can find the links to those reviews right there in the Facebook group as well. It's the Walking Dead TV Podcast Facebook group. We are almost 700 strong. Come join us, won't you? Thanks. We're kid-tested and mom-approved. <laughs> We're too much pork for just one fork. I've never heard that one before. I actually think Shane was somewhat less unhinged than Rick was at the end of this episode. I don't... Yeah. <laughs> they have scenes that are comparable. and I'm just saying, of... Shane knew he was an evil porch dick and was basically doing things for his best interest. Whereas Rick is just an idiot. <laughs> what's uh, what's his name? What's Shane's? I'm blanking right now for some reason. John Barenthal. Don John Barenthal. Yeah, the yeah. there is that. Did you there's... just call him Don John Barenthal? Because I approve. Don John Barenthal. Um, no, there's there's portions of um season two where he's like like after he when he's deciding whether to kill that guy or not in secret he's like slapping himself on the head and like really thinking about it and then go there's some stuff that shane does. if you i think if you look if you look back at that season you see shane becoming completely unhinged and getting into a very very concerned reasoning for rick to you know go through with what he has to do to put him down like i think it's I think the things Rick does here, they're extreme, but he's also being pushed to that point because he's actually fighting another human being, where Shane is just doing things on his own and being unhinged about it. Okay, I can see that. I still... Thought they're comparable, for sure. I'm, I'm saying they're comparable. Yeah. I, I wouldn't deny that, but I, I do think it's I think it's a fair comparison. I do think Shane is still... He's over the... He went over the edge, where Rick is... He's on that point, and it's a good thing. If anything, Michonne knocked him out before he got to some even further breaking point. <laughs> Like shooting everybody. Yeah, like like starting to shoot Pete, like shooting Pete as the way to prove his eventual point or something like that. 
So until next week, you can leave us a voicemail at 972-798-3830 or an email, wdtv at hhwlod.com. And of course, check out hhwlod.com for all of our great shows, like we mentioned earlier. You can follow us on Twitter at hhwlod underscore network. And so until there's no more room in hell and the dead walk the earth, remember, it's all over, and I'm standing pretty, in a dust that was a city. If I could find a souvenir just to prove the world was here... Oh, here it is, a red balloon. I think of you and let it go. Shut the hell up. Have a good week, everybody. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Not Anita fan? Oh, God. <laughs> hey, I didn't even bring up the red balloon in the uh, plot synopsis, so I let you have that one. But I gotta have my quote. It was either gonna be that or keep on walking. Or whatever Rick said, but I'd have to go back and look and said this was easier. I could Google this one. Anyway, uh, next week on The Walking Dead, of course, if you don't want to know anything about next week's episode of The Walking Dead, well, then cut out now, and we'll talk to you next time. But if you don't mind knowing just a tiny little bit about the season finale for Season 5, here we go. Uh, from TVGuide.com, we know that Season 5, Episode 16, is entitled Conquer. And according to them, in the season five finale, Dale experiences trouble on a run. Meanwhile, Rick and his group continue to feel like outsiders in Alexandria, where trouble is creeping into the gates. Can we talk about the scene in Talking Dead? Or did oh, we're totally talking about that scene. Honestly, guys, um, I got to get going, and I actually didn't watch the scene, so I want to remain unspoiled. So I think I might well, just get out of the episode. <laughs> all be, right, well then, be, uh, have a good prepared one, for awesomeness next week because this scene. It was so good. Fair enough. <laughs> well, have a good one, Aaron. All right. Bye, guys. Later. Okay, so for for everyone, except for Jerry and Aaron, who don't want to know, uh, here's what's, what happened in the scene that we saw on Talking Dead. Uh, and we should say that next week on Talking Dead, the guests are going to be Scott Gimple, showrunner for The Walking Dead, Carol Daryl, and a mystery fourth cast member, or third cast member. So uh, somebody might be dying. We'll see. It wouldn't be surprising. It's a season finale. But... The scene we saw in Talking Dead was Carol showing up at Pete's house. He's all kind of beat up from the fight. Um, This seems to be a day or two later, and she wants to know why he hasn't been checking up on Tara, because she needs uh, the doctor's help. Um, And when he kind of says he's not interested, she pulls out a knife, puts it to his throat, and tells him, I could just kill you right now. You couldn't stop me. No one would believe that I did it. And even if they did think I did it, I would just tell them that you attacked me, and we all know who they'd believe. And it was like, oh my gosh, That Carol. does not translate well from you saying it, Jordan, because it does not have the creepiness factor when you're talking that fast. I mean, I just, I, I have an all new respect for Carol above and beyond the respect for Carol I had before because she is a badass. <laughs> that dude was not even the slightest bit afraid of Rick or Michonne or anybody she had him on his tippy toes, and I'm pretty sure that he may have peed a little. <laughs> oh, I cannot wait for the season finale. So uh, until then, have a good week, everybody. Ready to talk about some balloon symbolism? All right, three, two, one, record.
It's going now. I am recording. I'm seeing waveforms. So the really, the really annoying thing, Aaron, was that I had to spend five minutes last night going, what's that movie with the famous red balloon? Before I that it wasn't <laughs> the red balloon. It's called the red balloon. <laughs> it's one of those elaborate titles. Yeah. Not the long well, range. I was, <laughs> the giant peach. I was like, is it in French? Because I know it's a French film. Is the title actually in French? Because I'm going to have to look that up. This is why I was watching the episode. So is I wasn't that, actively Is that Googling. the movie about the old guy who floats around with red balloons in his house? No, that's smoking the bandit. Or up. Uh, <laughs> up. Don't correct me here. I'm 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 upset with Aaron, so Why are you upset I, with Aaron? I did something. Because he throws logic and reason <laughs> oh. <laughs> up against my fanboy ranting. <laughs> what did what fanboy rant did I miss this time? Uh the Scarface remake that was announced. <laughs> what is this, number four? It's, it's at least the, the third one. It'll be the third remake. Well, the second remake. Uh, the second remake, version. yeah. But the the biologic was no one's taking away the old Scarface. <laughs> like it's not going anywhere. Yeah, but the Howard Hughes produced Scarface isn't. Eh. Nobody, nobody is Al Pacino, but Al Pacino. I I don't think he'd disagree with that. I think he'd probably be like, yeah, I'm I'm Al Pacino. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably got a cousin named Al Pacino. I'm, I'm gonna guess saying. that that's a common enough name. It's like a second cousin. He, Aaron, and then Aaron goes and writes a whole article for I was literally, yeah. Uh, I was writing the article about why you shouldn't care about the fact that there's a Scarface remake as he was, like, tweeting me about the fact that there's a Scarface remake. <laughs> oh, this was a Twitter one. Okay. I always laugh when people complain about a new version of, of Wizard of Oz where it's like, you do realize, right, and you probably don't, but you do realize that the famous version of The Wizard of Oz was the 10th filmed version released in America. Like, come on now. Can we please calm down? About can, the I make, can I make a Oz? true movie confession? I You've hate, never seen I, Wizard of Oz? No, I hate The Wizard of Oz. I hate it. I've never seen The Wizard of we Oz. Had to watch it, we had to watch it every year. They used to show it on, what, Easter? Or on, on some holiday, they would show it every year on NBC, and we would have to watch it every year because my mom and dad love that movie, and I can't stand it. It's like Grease. I can't sit through Grease because my sister's... Oh, I cannot My sister's Greece. watched it dozens and dozens of times in my house, and I would, like, leave the room, and I could still hear the music going on. I like know? to see Grease on stage, but... But I, I, I can't stand, stand Wizard of Oz. I just I don't like it at all. See, I grew up with Sound of Music and Fiddler on the Roof, and I love those movies. Yeah, my sister is a big Sound of Music fan because she was in musicals when she was younger, so... Maybe she'll leave Pete for the other team, and Tara can end up being Jesse's girl. <laughs> what is that like three weeks set up for that joke Jesus <laughs> I've been waiting <laughs> oh boy I have a very bad pun and infinite patience Jordan I'm proud of your use of the phrase defenestrate themselves yes, like good. as if it meant nothing <laughs> good, vocab- <laughs> like, good vocabulary just... use there buddy I, I, I was waiting to use that one I'm uh, surprised you referenced an 80s movie Aaron um I'm done. <laughs> I, the um. Ninety-nine dreams I've had, and everyone a red balloon. It's all over, and I'm standing pretty in the dust that was a city. If I could find a souvenir just to prove the world was here, and here it is—a red balloon. I think of you and let it go.